Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say It Loud Network presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. It is really like the hardest thing I think I have ever done. Like if anyone was like, you know, this is what it's going to be like, it's going to feel like your skin is peeling off every day. Like, yes. I don't think I would have signed up. <laughs> I have to thank today's guest, Karen Young, founder of We The People, for inspiring today's beauty report on a topic that has long been talked about and discussed but something that continues to be important that we all must be accountable for. And that is watch your language. It's not a secret that starting from the 50s, and well, let's be honest, long before that, it all boiled down to one brand message. You're not lovable or you're not beautiful if you don't, mm, let's see, look this way, use this product, or even wear this type of outfit or conform to a certain standard of beauty that to say the least is most harmful to black and brown little girls and women. Constantly chasing a falsehood that has truly mentally defeated and emotionally scarred generations of women who will never look that way, feel that way, or have the means to truly conform to this standard. A recent search on a major beauty website stated that 1,766 products use the term anti-aging, 524 with flawless, and 1,665 with perfect. Every one of those products fell under the women's beauty category. If brands drive culture, then brands must be accountable for their language. They must truly watch their language, and they can't pacify by putting one person of color in one ad at one time to say that they're checking a box. Brands must also go beyond ageism and sexism. And let's be real, if you're not aging, then you're not alive. It's the natural order of life and one we should all be blessed to have. To age means that we're alive and it's really about each person aging in their way and not conforming to look like someone else. And real talk, Black consumers spend $1.1 billion on beauty annually. So let's change the narrative. Let's jump into the conversation that inspired today's beauty report with our next guest, Karen Young. Karen, welcome to Business of the Beat. What an honor to have you here today. It's so amazing to be here. Thank you for having me. And before we get into this awesome conversation, I have to kind of call you out. Because I am literally on the wait list for your sugar coat product. 
and I need to be at the top of the list. I am. I'm telling you, sister. I'm like, I like, I have her on the podcast. I'm going to be like, how do I get favoritism? How do I get this product sooner? (laughs) (laughs) I have to tease you. I love it. I love it. Lauren and I, our producer, we're just like on all the wait list. So when it's back, I know who to call. Um, so, uh, let's jump in. Karen is the founder and CEO of We The People, a D2C skincare company rebuilding prestige beauty for the 21st century. A former executive at Estee Lauder, Karen saw an opportunity to melt the product experience that legacy brands provide with modern distribution and messaging. Launched out of the beta in 2017, We has won industry awards and featured in publications like Vogue, Oprah and Refinery29, named by NAACP as a Black-owned business to watch and was most recently noted as the fastest-growing Black-owned beauty brand in the U.S. Snap, snap, snap. This year, we has been the winner of the Lore Best of Beauty Award, GQ Grooming Award, and Karen made the entrepreneur list as one of 100 most powerful entrepreneurs. I literally have chills right now. That is amazing, amazing. I'm just, I'm, I'm smiling and smiling and smiling. Um, and you know, one of the things that, that I love is your declaration of the reconstitution of beauty. It's so powerful. And in today's beauty report, I talked about your commitment to watching your language as a beauty brand. And to quote you, because I just, I truly love this. You said, we believe beauty shouldn't come at the expense of our psyche. Rather than pursuing flawlessness, we aim to build efficacious, <laughs> efficacious products designed thoughtfully that help you feel great in the skin you're already in. So tell me everything, who you are, why you started this, how you did it, just you talk. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I started this like really innocently, um, to be honest, I was working at Estee Lauder and, um, a couple of men's shave brands had launched. So I I should start by saying that somehow I, I, I'm a born entrepreneur. I think you grow into the role of CEO, but I think that like to be crazy enough to pursue entrepreneurship, like it has to be in your bones because, no one yes, does this nonsense yes. on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, I'm um, to like throw it way back and just give a sense of, of me because I think it has so much to do with like how I see the world. I was born in Brooklyn, but I was actually raised in Guyana, South America. Um, at the time, Guyana um, was a third world country, considered a third world country. Um, to me, it was the most rich and dynamic and incredible playground. Um, my family is Indian, white, black, like crazy blend that you only get in the Caribbean which means that I was uh, not only raised uh, practicing Christianity, but also Hinduism. You know, I was not only raised on like, you know, sort of typical kind of English foods or the Caribbean version of English foods, but also like curry. And so I have always had this like more dynamic kind of view of the world. Um, Guyana is now on the glow up because they discovered oil off the coast. So it's no longer a... (laughs) It is fully considered um, a developing country at this point. Um, 
But yeah, I came back uh, to the U.S. when I was very young um, and grew up in Brooklyn. So next cultural shift sort of happened there. You know, this like, okay, like what exactly am I? Am I, I still have my accent? You know, am I Caribbean American? Am I African American? Like, how do I maneuver this and, and where do, do I fit in? And then, you know, of course, being a woman as well, you're just kind of like, okay, well, like what box, what box am I, are you putting me in today? Right. Um, and so I just kind of grew up with this, uh, I guess, more rebellious spirit, which is rare for a Caribbean kid. Um, and sort of carried that through life. Um, I ended up going to uh, Fordham University and studied psychology. So I got my undergrad, um, a bachelor of science in psychology. And of course, flung that out the window. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm going <laughs> to. Um, but interestingly enough, that degree was probably the best thing I ever did because I have just wow. always been so curious about people. Um, and I was just like, you know, I'm naturally an introvert. So I'm that person that does a little bit more observing than I do talking necessarily. Um, and I was just like, I just want to, I'm really fascinated by how people um, live and how they see the world and what makes them feel good and why they make certain decisions, you know, for themselves and, and what sort of like works. And I think just growing into myself as a young woman, you know, post-college, um, I, I found that rebellious spirit was still in me. And it was kind of always asking, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Um, and, you know, they say birds of a feather flock together. So you gather people like yes, that yes. around you. Yes. And the more I gathered my friends around me, they were dynamic and incredible and funny and pursuing different things and rebellious. And I was just like, okay, the world looks so different in my little key, um, than what women have sort of been painted into. Um, and, and honestly, all of that led to, you know, my career through fashion. I started my first company um, in the early, like 2008 or so. Um, and it was interior design. And I kind of just wanted to do something really bold and dynamic. Like everything at that time was grayish. Like you went on West Elm. Yeah. It, was <laughs> it was just like <laughs> gray, beige, and like maybe a taupe in there. And you were just like, no, seriously though? Like, can I? <laughs> Where's the color? <laughs> Mind you, I'm a typical New Yorker. I am always in black. I'm in black today. In black, yes. <laughs> the two of us. <laughs> Um, and so I started that company and we did really, really well. We ended up in like over a hundred, um, you know, uh, uh, stores of distribution. We ended up, uh, distributing internationally as well. Um, and then we also just had amazing, um, press from, you know, Oprah magazine to the Today Show and, and so on. But it was fully self-funded and very quickly I ran into yeah, the yeah. world of, you know, being able to actually grow and scale a company with um, and, you know, still maintain some sort of life and keep a roof over my head. So I ended up closing that. And around the same time, I got the opportunity to work at, um, at Estee Lauder. And it was, it was actually as a result of them seeing um, my business, like down the street from the Estee Lauder offices um, I had this huge display wow. from Henry Bendel 
at the time that was just these like gigantic stuffed pillows that were like all these wild colors. It was just like so fun and so colorful. Um, yeah. And they were like, you know, they literally like the, the woman that I ended up working for, um, knew me by association. And she was like, I need to have that. Wow. She's like, bring it over here, bring it over here. <laughs> Um, so I got the opportunity to go over to Lar. I spent about four years there. And as I was sort of getting towards the end of my journey and experiencing, experiencing some of the frustration of like, you know, typical entrepreneurship mindset in a large organization, everywhere I turned, I was like, oh, wall, oh, wall, oh, there we go. There's another wall. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, exactly. exactly. I was like, you know, I've learned so much and the beauty industry is, is just so fascinating. Um, I feel like there's a more modern way to look at this that I can sort of apply. And um, long story short there, I, I ended up really digging into the things that bothered me and the things that I thought were overlooked. Beauty is such a hard category. It's such a crowded category. Mm-hmm. It's just like, if I'm going to go for it, like, it needs to be something. I mean, go else. for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm not going to go for it in a regular way. Like, I don't have to go for it in a really, like, solution-driven way where I can truly talk to people, um, understand what their needs are, and build and scale up from there. Um, and so that product was a single-blade razor um, aimed at women and and aimed at um educating and also respecting um women and our thought process and the fact that uh i felt that the category really spoke down to us um beauty in general but razors too. i was just like seriously like you don't shave you're not gonna get married type of thing like come on the extreme yes yeah so um yeah i was like i feel like i can approach this from a number of of ways um and really start the process of building something truly meaningful even if it looks weird you know even if it looks like crazy even if it's even if anti-aging is the biggest category in the beauty industry and investors are literally like so how are you going to sell it if it's not aging? And I'm like... In that category, yes. Yes. <laughs> that there is a customer on the other end that is tired of hearing the same tropes and um, we're going to challenge it. I mean, so many gems of what you said. And I think it ties into, like, you're so thoughtful and even recognizing from a psychology perspective, like, I just want to understand people and what they want. And it comes across so much in terms of your care and your understanding and love for saying, like, there's got to be a more modern way to do this. Because even just coming up with that, I mean, such a fantastic product. I love the videos, too, because even from a consumer perspective, I'm like, do I can I shave sideways and this way and that way? And it's just it's so smart and so thoughtful. And one of the things that you said that I um, it's funny because I, I read a quote that you had said again, that you always wanted to be a founder. And you said it here and you said you're born an entrepreneur and you grow into a CEO. And it's funny because for me, like I knew in my career that I I was like, I worked at, I said, I want to have an internship at the biggest PR agency. I want to be the youngest VP. And I didn't translate that into being an entrepreneur because I hadn't seen it. 
no one in my family had really seen it. And then when I became an entrepreneur, like I was the one starting new divisions and doing all of these things. And when I started my first business and became an entrepreneur, I was like, oh, yes. And two and three businesses later. And it's funny because even my daughter this morning, my daughter um, launched her own restaurant this morning and it was called Tierra's Restaurant. She created her own menu. She, of course, put it in plastic because of COVID. And she tells like, it's crazy. She tells me and um, her dad, my husband, that she's the CEO and we have this battle in the house. So it's funny when you talk about growing into a CEO, because I feel like I can start a company every day, but to be a CEO is it's, it's a, it's different. It's all psychologically damaging, but how did you grow into a CEO from being a founder? Yeah. You know, I will say that I'm still like, that's the thing. It's the process. There is no end necessarily. Like I, I am still growing into a CEO and it's, it's fascinating. I'm reading this um, book right now called um, the hard thing about hard things. It's by Ben Horowitz. And, you know, he talks about um, the whole book basically sort of like posits this, this concept of uh, growing from, founder to CEO slash leader. And it is really like the hardest thing I think I have ever done. Like if anyone was like, you know, this is what it's going to be like, it's going to feel like your skin is peeling off every day. Like, yes. I don't think I would have signed up. <laughs> so I think that it is, um, it is the coming back to it time and time again. And it's a consciousness as well. You know, I know when I'm falling down. I know when I'm not bringing my best communication. And sometimes I even have to ask my small team for a little bit of a reprieve. Like, I'm fucking tired today. I, I can't do it. Um, you know, or like, I, I need to focus on, on this thing for a few hours and I'll be back and, you know, just kind of hold it down <laughs> and do your thing, you know, while I'm, while I'm sort of doing that. And then I, I, I have this theory about, um, you know, a lot of people talk about the leap, the leap. Everyone's like, how do you make the leap from this to that or whatever? It's not the leap that I think really is what we need to be concerned about. It's the gap. So if you're thinking like, yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh -huh. That trench in between A and B, like when you're standing at the cliff at A and you're looking down and that shit is like, which <laughs> like far. <laughs> And filled with the skeletons of all the people who tried to make the leap before, who tried yes. to make the gap before. That's actually it. And that gap is filled with all of the ugly things that we tell ourselves every day. I'm stupid. Yeah. I can't do this. I can't figure it out. Never done it before. You know, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm a black woman to boot. No one's going to pay attention. This and that. It's not going to sell. All of it. That's it. That's the stuff that's like literally just like yawning and like it's the mental warfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Figure out how to get across that crazy, you know, trench, that gap um, to get to be. And I think that's really where the CEO is made. It's in yes. that gap. And God forbid. No one ever really says also that there's a B and a C and then a C and a D and then you just actually have to. <laughs> and it just keeps going, yes. And that might happen in the same day, it might happen in the same week, or it might happen in the same year. Like, 
constantly um, growing and leaping and facing those fears. I, I truly feel like that's where the CEO is made. I, I love how you talk about the gap. Um, <clears throat> it's so interesting because I, I do. It's like making the leap. If you have that innate ability to have an idea and like, you know, so many people even get stuck in how do I make the leap? And then once you make the leap, I love when you talk about the gap because you have to be honest and transparent and it truly is mental warfare. And it's like, this didn't happen. This didn't come in. Somebody left all these different things and you have to keep going and you have to constantly grow. And it's like, just when you figure out, you know, I know in our business, it's like, just when you figure out the, the, the CAC or, oh my gosh, we're finally making $4 for every $1 we spend. And then our product sells out and then we can't get more product until this. And it's like constantly having to grow and, and to know that like the communication with the team, because for me, you know, one of the reasons the second company I started brain trust and I remember just like sitting there and being like, what have I learned in my first company? It's that I like being around smart people, the brains, and I want to work with people that I trust so that when the time is hard, I know that we're going to be thinking through it. And I know that I can trust them to meet me on the other side. But I have to be honest and say, okay, guys, I know I move really quickly. And I have a great person on my team who tells me like, you get to the end so fast and we're trying to catch up. And we all have to be like, working and walking like lockstep. So it really, that CEO, you know, mentality, it, it truly is the part that makes or break the business. And then knowing when maybe you're not the right CEO and you can still be the visionary, but bringing in the other people to grow the business to the next place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that, you know, that experience that you talked about, like walking in, in lockstep, it's so easy to fall out of place. It's hard to be in lockstep all the time, even as a small company. And now yeah, doing yeah. that as we are under the challenges of a pandemic, which is just like, oh, well, thanks for delivering that universe. Um, but yeah, sort of like managing all that, even from, from small, from, from a small company and a small dynamic, it's just, it's really, um, it's really insane and, and very, uh, very challenging. You know, I think one of the things too about being CEO is that so often the, what you are experiencing and thinking gets trapped in your head. And like, yes, 50% of yes. it makes its way out. You're like, oh, then I should do that. Yeah, sorry. That's because it was at 3 a.m. in the morning when I got it. Oh, my God. I am totally like kindred sisters with you right now. I'm like, I know the answer. It's been in my head. I'm trying to get it to you, but it was 3 a.m. I'm like, I can't. I try and put my phone on. Do not disturb. I'm like, just wait until 530. Don't start texting them. Don't do it. You know, it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I sent Slack messages on Sunday that, like, start off in all caps. Read this on Monday. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> I'm, I am trying to respect your time. I'm sorry, but I have to get it out. <laughs> or then it's like, then I get so, I've, I'm like, if I don't do it now, I'll miss it. And if I write it down. So, yeah. And, and that's the thing, too. I think the team meeting you on the other side and, like, it's all about, finding the people that want to work that way too, that like can accept you and understand with the, with the sense of grace 
right? And then we meet each other with grace and empathy and know, okay, I'm not going to move at that pace, but we're going to get it done and we'll get it done together is what, you know, I say to my team because, because it's, and it's also like, they want us this way. Like if we weren't this way, then there wouldn't be the business. There wouldn't be the excitement, the energy and the need to keep growing. So it's, you know, I'm like, we love it. So I want to, I want to switch gears and talk about, um, the reconstitution of beauty. I mean, what I get from we is more than a shaver. It's really like a movement and, and it's a cultural mantra. And I feel like you are so astute in that piece of the business. And, and for me, like when I first started reading, I was like, Oh, and the more I was digging into it and reading your letters. And I was like, I want to be part of this movement. Of course, I'm going to get the razor. But like, this is so much bigger than me, the stories that you're telling. So how did you, was it innate? How did you get there? It's so profound. Like, how did, how did it come to be? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that you saw that and, and pieced it together because I think when you have a product, especially one that has gotten the exposure and traction, you know, that, that we have in particular this year, um, it can be hard to like, be, you know, have people like see the full story. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that that's coming across and, and I'm really glad that like more people are, are picking up on that. So I am, I'm fully moved by culture. Um, I am moved by art. I'm moved by music. Um, you know, and I, I think about like artists and musicians like Bob Marley who, who died decades ago. Um, and you can still hear his music like around the world. Um, and people still reference it as if, you know, uh, I shot the sheriff was, 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 you know, made and, and produced yesterday. And it's just like, you know, the new hot single <laughs> or something. Um, so it's just, it's, it has really been something that like I wanted to create we the people in, in reference to culture. Um, because I think I love that. The products only go so far, um, but a deeper story and the storytelling around that and meaning um, has a resonance that like really can continue for for a while. And so, I, I just wanted to approach we the people from that perspective. Um, and it's interesting. It's it's really been fascinating what it has allowed us to do and be as a brand um, as a result of rooting ourselves in that position. So we've got a razor, we've got shaving products, we have more incredible body care products to come, which I'm super excited about. But literally two days, <laughs> two days ago, we launched a conceptual fragrance in the form of a candle, and it's called Patriarchy. Yes. <laughs> really like in burn patriarchy in a sense and i i'll never forget it <laughs> it was uh in february um i'm like before the world you know went to heck in handbasket i'm like walking into work and i'm just thinking like who's our customer and like what would be funny and really delightful and interesting as we think about these like quarterly product drops and i think i it was just thought about my experience as a woman um, in the world. And, you know, I was just like, my friends are hilarious. They're like, you know, we're all burning sage and candles. And like this. <laughs> my brand director has like 20 rocks, like crystal rocks on the table. You can't even find anything else on, on the table. It's just like, 
you know, a and a gigantic salt lamp. And, you know, um, there was this sense of um, what does it look like to create almost like a little bit of a ritual around something. I grew up um, in in Guyana because we practice Hinduism. Like we grew up um, with, you know, like at an altar and like candles and incense and, and all of these different rituals. And so I kind of wanted to um, light on that a little bit. And, and I like sprinted into the office and like out of breath, Flung the door. Open. <laughs> oh, God, holy, what I just thought of. <laughs> and like, immediately, <laughs> go. Like, that's it. Like, let's do this. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously the world shut down like literally weeks after. <laughs> and <laughs> the world. Um, and then we just, we, we just kind of like continued to, to figure it out and, um, found an incredible perfume. That, that alone was like such a, a hilarious story. So the perfume actually ended up not being too far from our offices. So we call, we're making a break, whatever. We go in, two of us sitting down. We're like, all right, got this idea. It's a concept, okay? What would the world see <laughs> for women if we were able to burn off the scent of patriarchy? And so it sort of be reading. <laughs> <laughs> an experience of um, you know and, and so I'm like throwing out and I was just like I think it's got to be like teak and wood and like you know and I'm thinking like back to Guyana you know which was ruled by the British for, for so long and like that like experience out of like the cobblestone streets and all of that and so I was just like I know what patriarchy looks like and what it feels like <laughs> kind of think I know what it yeah. smells like it sounds like this. And then, you know, I said, as you burn it, it would lift a little bit and leave um, really uh, like lighter tones in in the air. Um, And and the perfumer was a guy and he sat there with like this blank look on his face, like, (laughs) (laughs) he's like, what is happening? I was talking and and, and me and my gender we were sitting there like trying not to look at each other so we don't burst out laughing and um, you know after a couple minutes he was just like okay okay no 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 like he, he sunk into his job a little bit stopped taking it personally like alright I, I got you I got you and we just together and we just like we're like this is the one this is it um, yeah and we're like we're going to launch that one in November because this is quite the year. <laughs> this is the time. I, I saw the drop and I was like, oh, I love this. But that's what I truly love. Like, it, it has so much meaning and depth. You know, anybody can do a kitschy candle. Anybody can do this. But when you put so much heart into it and the meaning is there, it's like you want to support it, right? Like, we as brands have to participate and have that meaning and we part have to be culture. And I love hearing the story because when I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is really dope. And I love how it's like drop one with, which I'm like, okay, we've got more of these coming. <laughs> so it was exciting to hear and to see the story. Um, it really, truly is like this 
profound merging of culture and music and entertainment. And that mantra just rings so true with the brands. And you just, you, you can't get enough of, of the stories and the feeling. And I want to ask you, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how far have we truly come in changing the beauty narrative um, in particular since the fifties? Cause I know you talk about like in the fifties, there was this narrative. And so I just like, with all the work that you've done, where, where are we in that scale? Yeah, we're at like a two. <laughs> okay. I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's still early. Um, and I think um, if there's anything we learned this year and, and definitely most pressing probably in the last couple of weeks um is how much the media can really control our narrative of um, ourselves, what's going on in the world, whose side we're on, who we give a chance, who's a winner, who's a loser. Um, And I think that that is still, um, it's still a story that has been told over and over to women so many times. You are not perfect enough. You are not flawless. Here's, you know, here's what you can do to make that better. I don't know if you saw this, but like a couple months into the pandemic, as people started using Zoom, here you have women at home, you know, taking care of their kids. And and, and, and it turns out, no surprise, the burden um, of that caretaking largely fell mostly to to women. Um, and so, you know, they're showing up like, I, who's got time for lipstick? What is lipstick, you know? Um, and there was a New York Times article um, that sort of highlighted the fact that women were showing up and consistently apologizing for their experience, for their appearance. Yes. And um, it's just like, why, why are we holding ourselves to such standards when, like, the world is literally collapsing around us and we are responsible for our health, the health of our family, and the health of our careers, like, simultaneously? Um, and I was just like, you know, I, so I just, I feel like we still have a very long way to go. And I think that um, part of it is just because the story has been around for such a long time. So we intend to be a company um, that's around for a very long time as well. You know, we have a, a hundred year, you know, vision for, for this brand to, to truly be one of the, the next great leaders and the next great brands in um, the beauty category. And so I think we have time. Um, and I think also we are hitting on a consumer who like they're changing and they want to hear, you know, there's a new, there's a change of the guard happening. I, I think that like 20 something to 30 something that gravitates to us is going to carry our message forward. And because their mediums of expression are so much more bold and vibrant and widespread than anything oh, got yes. before. Um, I think it's going to travel faster and further um, than any messages that, that we had before. But I think we still we still have some time. 
I so hope so in terms of the messaging and traveling further. And like, there is a changing of the guard. Like I want to be part of it. You know, it's like in my forties and thinking about where I was in my twenties and even thirties. And it's so exciting. Like I look at my daughter and her friends and like their vocabulary and what they're building and like what they see. And then also being very mindful of my own language or, you know, and, and you're right. Oh my gosh. In the beginning of the pandemic, I used to, when I, you know, same with New York, I've been in LA, but like, I would never wear my flip-flops in the office. I would literally, and that's the New York of me, you know, you're on the side of the street, switch it into your hills. But like, I wouldn't go to the office without makeup. I was like always. And so then you switch into this pandemic and you're getting on Zooms and it's like, and it's, and I'm just like, I can't, I can't do that. Right. And so I remember one, one time when we were first doing the Zooms and I said to my daughter, man, I look crazy. And she was like, you do mommy. And I had to stop myself. I don't look crazy because I don't have on makeup. Like that's the, that is. And I was just like, for someone who is pushing this narrative and empowerment and all these things, and then you're uncomfortable. And it has been such like, a great time during COVID to be like, it doesn't take all of that. Like clearly you want to be presentable, but that's not going to define or shift how we show up, how passionate we are and how we get our job done. And, and it was interesting because it's interesting that you put us at it too, because I feel like we were further and then we went back because of the narrative. But then as you're talking, I'm kind of like, did we, did we get there? And like, how do we recover from the stigma of what's happening this time? You know, it's, it's, it's really psychologically, I'm like, what is going to happen on the other side? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel like we are leaning towards a more holistic perspective of what wellness looks like for us. And I honestly think that um, one of the greatest challenges that's probably going to occur from this and maybe one of the greatest opportunities in addition is um, what does emotional well-being look like, you know, because this has this has highlighted the fact that we are um, we are group people, you know what I mean? We, we, we travel in packs, we like being near each other, um, you know, and, and, and that loneliness is, is a real thing, um, to kind of, to, to solve. Um, and so I feel like that's one of the things that's, that's going to kind of come out on the other side. And, and I'm hoping that, um, given the fact that we've had all these months without sort of having to rely on the mask that we put on every day and not picking up these perfecting, you know, makeup and covering and all this. I, don't, I think my makeup shade is probably like 10 shades back by now. We <laughs> 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 were like around 2018-ish. Like, <laughs> it's not your 2020 shade. I'm sorry to break it to you. Um, but yeah, I'm like, uh, sort of like with that challenge of, of accepting ourselves, um, you know, and, and seeing who we are and maybe we're just focusing on our skin or how we feel in our skin or whatever. Um, I'm hoping that um, that will sort of continue uh, 
um, a bit. But God knows, you know, the second everything is back to normal, the beauty industry is going to bash us over <laughs> over the head with like, <laughs> you know, for like, you know, for <laughs> above the cheeks, because, you know, it's just going to be makeup. So oh, yes. <laughs> it's going to be a whole like, um, I can just see the, the like, cosmetic surgery and the this and the that for like below the nose like a whole new laser treatment that's gonna like recover i was like oh here we go so i feel you and one quick thing before we start to wrap up you mentioned sustainability um and you talk about the company you know 100 years from now and i think even what i was impressed with was just the, your effort in sustainability now, right? Because you've done so much to have sustainable products and your packaging and the glass bottles, the stainless steel razor, the blades. Like, so it's interesting because I love how you look at sustainability, not just in your products, but for the brand. Was it difficult to get to a place of having sustainable products as a new company? And how does that play to the overall vision? Yeah. Um, so sustainability is probably one of the things that like is just so so hard to achieve. Um, you know, the fact that you ship anything at all, the fact that you make package and ship anything is just not sustainable. We are literally adding more to the world. And so I think the very first um, way that we thought about sustainability is let's just not make things to make things. I don't think that you're going to see us launching a lip balm anytime soon, for example. Um, they're out there. Fantastic. I use Rosebud if anyone's looking for one. It's great. Um, you know, there are like plenty of, of, of options. So I, I don't want to make that. So the way we, we challenge and think about sustainability from, from that end is like, what is actually missing? Um, from our consumers' cabinets and and what would truly change their lives? Like, what are the things that they're experiencing that would bring joy um, and actually help um, yeah. to, to make help them feel better in the skin that they're that they're in? Um, and so that's our first sort of look at sustainability. And then the second, um, being a relatively smaller, younger brand, where you know we don't we don't have the ability to. Um, you know, launch the coolest packaging in like a, a million units or whatever overnight where you can do refills and, right. and all that kind of stuff. Like, okay, well, so I like literally like went online and I called up some of the, um, uh, some of the waste collection services, you know, in the area. And I said, when you get plastic packaging in, like what actually does get it recycled? And they said that um, transparent and white we're the ones that normally um, are easiest to sort through. The machinery, you know, recognizes them and it's more likely that they will get recycled. Um, and so we just really started thinking um, from that perspective. And, you know, we can have fun with with our colors and our boxes and, and all of that and think about how we, you know, we really stand out visually. But, um, you know, if I could lean into what is a little bit easier and sort of think about it from, from that way um, until we get to a point where it's like, you know, I can do full sugarcane or whatever the heck, even though that has its challenges too. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's actually been, been pretty tough, but we just try to like simplify it. And then we try to pass that very simple message onto our customers as well. Um, and probably the third 
thing is like, well, let's just think about whatever we can refill um, and, and, you know, see it from, from that perspective too. And if that's possible, um, if it's a type of product, if, you know, the exposure to light and air um, and the, the packaging itself allows those things to come together, then we feel like we're doing an okay job. Wow. Well, I mean, you're doing an excellent job. It's, it's beautiful. And it just goes back to being thoughtful. And I love when you say like bringing joy, because that's what I get whenever I go and experience the brands and, and it just, the connectivity, you know, it's like to truly be organic and to be real and to talk about sustainability, not just in the products, but the brands. I mean, that's what we're here for. So I'm excited. I am so thankful for you and this conversation. It's been a great, great, great amount of fun for me. I, like I said, I was just waiting and waiting for this to talk to you. Um, and as we close out, we always end with one brand that you're excited about that our listeners should check out. It can be your brand. It can be another brand. But, but what's a good brand? Oh, gosh. Okay. Hmm. I haven't. I think I like to think about like, I, gosh, I'm sure there are like so many brands. Um, but I love to think about like products that like literally helped me in, in some way or another. And like, um, I'm one of those people who gets eaten alive by mosquitoes. And, um, my friend, <laughs> me too, me too. Nicole has this company called, um, Kinfield and she actually like really sourced like some of the best, um, citronella, citronella, I think it is, and just made, the most incredible, like super potent, you know, deep free um, mosquito repellent. And, and so just thinking like off the top of my head, like what's the last product I use where I was just like, yeah, like this is really good. Um, that would be it. I think she did a phenomenal job um, with that. And it's something that like I give to friends now and I make sure it's in my bag whenever the heck we travel again. But Oh my God. I'm, I am like you. I'm just like, they just love our sweetness because I'm always getting it up. So <laughs> I am definitely going to check this out and, and get this product. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your openness. Thank you for really creating not just a brand that we all love in We The People, but also a movement and this new cultural renaissance and relevance. So thank you so much. I appreciate you and your time. Thank you. Thank you. It was amazing to be a part of this. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. So every week I share an influencer I'm checking out that I'm excited about or that I think truly fits in with our guest. So today, make sure to check out Julia Child. She's a mental wellness coach and expert when we talk about emotional well-being. You can find her at Julia Childs Hey on Instagram. And thank you so much again, Karen. Oh, I'm so inspired. What a great conversation. You know, it's interesting to think about being born an entrepreneur and growing into a CEO and so many things that you left us with. Let's all watch our language and be mindful of the power of our words and images that we use in our campaigns. As always, I want to leave you all with one thing from today's guest, Karen Young, and that is truly think about what moves you. So follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. 
I have to shout out to those who have helped us put this together every week. Thank you to Five Times Media Production, our outstanding production team, and my own personal producer, Jenny Sock. Thank you for tuning in. Bye. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, coordinating producer Lauren Turner, executive producer Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and Celessa Baker. Edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producers Ken Johnson, Andrew Kalb, and Omar Thompson. Find Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon, Radio.com, or where you get your podcasts. Please follow, subscribe, and rate us. Business of the Beat is a Say It Loud Network production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.